hello. Hey, John. How are you doing? Hey, Dan Benjamin. I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. A little busy. A little busier than I like, but... I spilled some coffee in my lap this morning. Just now or um, earlier? Just now. Yeah, just now. Are you all right? Oh, yeah. I had it in mind that I uh, that I I needed to drive a little this morning. I needed to go from one place to another because I left my computer uh, last night somewhere, and so I, I I needed some coffee. And I felt like what I should do is fill one of these half liter beer mugs up all the way with coffee, and then get in my my truck, which is not famously a soft ride. And I immediately started spilling coffee on my lap. But I had the rest of the journey. Oh, and it wasn't. It wasn't that. Was it a long I, journey? No, it was a short journey. But it was. Um, if the roads were bumpy enough that I was going to spill coffee on my lap in that first hundred feet. Oh, I wasn't going to stop spilling coffee in my lap. No, until either I drank <laughs> enough of it that right. it wasn't, or I just spilled enough of it. And so, for most of the drive here. I was spilling coffee on my lap. And uh, it's the kind of thing when, you know, when you're in your 30s, you think by the time I'm in my 50s, I'm going to have this figured out. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the stuff, all the things that that make life absurd, by, by, by my 50s, I surely will, for instance, not get in a car and immediately have set it up so that I'm just spilling steaming hot coffee in my lap for the next <laughs> five minutes. Like a mm-hmm. couple of ways I could have avoided it and not fill the, the mug up all the way. Sure. But you know, between your thirties and your fifties, you learn a lot of things and I don't know, maybe some of that stuff crowds out important information that you think, ah, I'm not, I'm not going to need that. Of course, of course, I'm, of course I got that figured out. I don't need to keep that in the forefront of my mind. It's not true, Dan. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we assume are going to be worked out or figured out by a certain point in time, and uh, they just aren't. For whatever reason, they're just not. No, it's weird. It's weird. You really would think <laughs> by this age, you know, some of the basics at least you'd have you'd have nailed. Like every time I open a banana, it's a it's really a guessing game whether it's going to be a success. Sure, right? Like sometimes. I I open it from the monkey end, but sometimes it's I don't do it right and squishes, and then the whole bottom of the banana is squished. And you think, how many bananas have I opened? Still got to still everyone is is a you know everyone is a roll of the dice. You know I think that that's uh, there is something to be said about that in relation to all of humanity because if you really think about it. We're we're kind of halfway through our lives, if we're lucky. You and me, yeah. 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 And, you know, you think about it at the at at the age that I feel like this started to settle in with me in early 40s. But even in late 30s, I think I was getting a little hint of it, a little glimpse of it. But now in my late 40s, which hurts to say, mm. I realize that there that a lifespan of a human Mm-hmm. it's like you can barely, you barely have enough time to figure anything out. You barely have enough time. And by the time that at least modern day, 
it didn't used to be this way, I don't think. But by the time that you're wise, mm-hmm. and I don't know when that happens. I don't know if you, maybe there's people my age who are wise. I don't feel, as, I mean, especially wise. Right. But by the time that you're clearly wise, no one wants to hear from you anymore. Yeah. And and so nothing useful get because by the time that you're wise, you're also the furthest thing possible from cool. <laughs> and the younger people who need to learn from you the the most don't want to have anything to do with you. Mm. And because you're not cool. Mm-mm. And so none of the knowledge that you have is actually really effectively being passed down. And that means every single other person has to almost start from scratch. The fact that we got to this point where we have we have a, a writing system and a system of mathematics and a way to categorize books in a library, like all of these things, when you're born, you're born into this world with all of this, this structure, this construct that sort of provides access to the knowledge. Mm. But... By the time that people actually learn the basics of how to even use and access the knowledge that's around them, they're halfway through their life already almost. Now you think about it, like, do you know any like 25 year olds, anybody in their mid twenties? They're just, they're just, their brains are just starting to calm down to the point where they can think, where they can even Mm -hmm. just think. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be another 10 years before they're like they know anything Mm -hmm. and then i think another 10 years before they figure out that they don't know anything oh and that's kind of like where i feel like i am now it's like i know a few i know a couple things and there's a few things very few things but i do the few things really well and i'm I'm not good at most of the other things but i'm okay with that but Mm -hmm. the more that i realize now i feel like now I can I can actually really learn stuff and execute on it. And I'm not quite at the point where nobody cares anymore, but that's not that far off. But we right. don't revere or honor or respect older people. I'm talking, you know, re, you know, what wise, truly wise people. We don't look to them as an asset or a resource here in in our western culture very much. We sort of like want to not see them anymore so that we're not reminded that one day we're going to have you know, gray hair and, uh, you know, could break a hip. You know, we don't want to think about that. So better we don't think about those people or talk about those people. Let's mm-hmm. just not look at them. Let's not look at them. <clears throat> Keep them out of sight, out of mind. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we can just focus on cool stuff, you know, like, I don't know, eating pizza or whatever. Mm, that is cool. And I feel like we miss this huge window of opportunity because like I said, like they're, they're just not cool. They're just not interesting. And everyone's forced to repeat it all over again. The biggest yeah. testament to this is everybody eventually invents kickball on hmm. the playground. You know what I mean? Hmm. Every, if mm-hmm. you, if you give kids a ball, eventually they, inv- in, they will invent kickball and the rules might be a little different, but basically it's always going to be invented the same way. And it's like, that's a, a metaphor for the learning that every single person has to go through. We don't start out, with anything. You got to learn it all. And every person mm-hmm. has to go through the same experience over and over and over again. It's forever. That's why it takes so long for us to to evolve as a species mm-hmm. into having more peace, having better economy, having, you know, all this stuff. We got to figure it out because you see mm-hmm. the same thing all the time. I remember being in college and being like, 
passionate and furious at the same time about everything. And now I'm like, well, let's see what happens, you know? And like, that's the same thing that's going on now with college kids. They're passionate and furious. And then they have to like experience stuff and then get to a point. It's like, it's, everyone has to go through this. I don't know. Am I making any sense, John? But everyone has to go through the same thing. You and are. <clears throat> do you know any, do you know any old people? Do you know anybody that's older? A few, not a lot. In my experience with, with old people or older people <clears throat> is that they don't know anything. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it might be, you know, I think it might be a, a certain bias that we have. Like, you know, it's that it's, it's the, uh, whatever the term is for a bias toward what, you know, absent what you don't, we're all fish swimming in the water of our own, like incapacity, lack of ability Human beings have, it turns out, I think, a very small range of capabilities. We're not, and so we think like, oh, there are some people who are really smart and really wise, but it's like, well, they're smart and wise relative to the mean or relative to the dumbest among us, but they are neither smart nor wise relative to any other, if you could, even if you just use your imagination to imagine a being that's 20% smarter than the smartest human being. Yeah. That being is not really that smart either, <laughs> you know, relative to like what could, what's possible. Yeah. You know, like yeah. even what's possible maybe here on earth. And I get what you're saying, but I feel like, <clears throat> you know, what, what it looks to us like the Japanese really revere the wisdom of the yeah. But in a lot of cases, when you look at it, they ha they have that element in the culture where it's like, well, this this elder <clears throat> has been hand carving pool cues <laughs> for sixty five years, and they have mastered it. And look at these pool cues; they're incredible. Like this is one of the great, you know, the great Japanese art forms. The the amazing traditional pool cue that this one craftsman is able to make after 60 years. But in another way, you look at it and it's like, yeah, this guy is so dumb. He's been making the same pool cue for 60 years. And yeah, he makes it, he makes it well, but it's a dumb thing in the first place. And, and, and what the Japanese have figured out is like, look, people are dumb. Old people are dumb. We're going to make the thing look cool. We're going to make the, the process look cool. We're going to make the culture look cool. Right. Because we're not, we had no, this, this guy started making this thing when he was 20 mm -hmm. and we had absolutely no expectation that he would evolve in any way other than just get better at doing this. You know, the guy didn't become, he's not, they, they don't celebrate his family life. They don't celebrate his sexual prowess. <laughs> they don't celebrate the, you know, they, like the, they don't celebrate anything about the thing except the, like the really celebrate the fact that this is dumb. Right. And everything we do is dumb. And young people are dumb, but middle-aged people clearly are dumb. I can't keep from from spilling coffee on myself, which is like maybe if you if you go through if you could go through my life with an omniscient uh, like overview, mm -hmm. and you could just catalog everything everything I've done based on you know like a sign in the workplace that said we haven't spilled coffee on our lap in. <laughs> Three days. <laughs> right. <laughs> we haven't spilled coffee. And you could just 
<clears throat> you could just make a membrane. You could make an architecture of my entire life from the day I started spilling or the first time I spilled coffee on myself uh-huh. to now. And I don't think there was an unbroken period any longer than probably 20 days since uh, between, uh, you know, that entire time that I didn't spill coffee on myself. Maybe 20 days went by and then I would do it again. <clears throat> and if you put spaghetti sauce into that too, <laughs> coffee and spaghetti sauce, I'm I'm like four days is the best I've ever gotten. And I don't expect that that's going to get better when I'm 70, based on my dad, who had some form of sauce on him at all times, such that he had <laughs> he had clothes that he just never even bothered to to try and get the sauce out of because it was just like well it's just more going to be there anyway. And I believe that that's true of I mean the old people that you see that don't have sauce on them. Uh-huh. That's 100 percent a result I think of them having stayed married, and the two people as a team manage to manage to go out into the world and look like they don't have sauce on them because they, because there's another person there that's looking at them every day. Like, ah, you got sauce on you again. But those of us who are single that don't, that the only thing we have is our reflection in these crude looking glasses. Mm. I don't, I can't tell you. I could, I, I mean, when, when the coffee spilled on my lap, one of my, one of the first five thoughts I had was, well, I think that's going to soak into these jeans and, and there won't visibly be a coffee stain. Thank God I'm not wearing white pants. <laughs> but, um, but I don't know if the rest of the day, a uh, an acute observer would say, "Hmm, there's a large brown stain on his right thigh." And I mean, it's in the it's on the front of his pants, so at least that's a that's not as bad as if it were on the back of the pants. My point is, Dan, that I don't think humans are really that great. I think wisdom often is just stupidity that we enshrine or stupidity that we're like, hey, high five, right? Like you figured out your limitations and so you look at least calm, <laughs> whereas the rest of us are like, I mean, I know a guy who's a who's a uh, a good lawyer. He's a lawyer. He works in a in a kind of in a field, right? He's not like a general purpose lawyer. He doesn't sit and just lawyer. He doesn't go to, to lawyer camp or whatever. He's got a business where he does a certain kind of lawyering mm-hmm. and his, and he has it and it's success. He has a successful business. He's one of those lawyers that when you open up a New York magazine that, uh, you know, they're one issue a year where it's like the best lawyers in New York. And there's all these pictures of these just guidos with their, you know, <laughs> pinky rings. Uh-huh. Like, Hey, I'm the best lawyer in New York. I don't know how that, it's, it's like Seattle weekly used to say like the best indie rock band. I have a, I have a plaque. I have a couple of plaques from Seattle, <clears throat> uh, Seattle metropolitan magazine or something like at one point I was the, uh, the, uh, the long winters were in the top three, uh, citywide favorite bands. Maybe we were the number one favorite band of of people who respond to Seattle Metropolitan Magazine polls about who your favorite band is, which is just like it could have just said like Seattle's favorite mom band. And then I actually have a plaque somewhere in this house that says uh, Seattle's best tweet of two thousand nine. I had some tweet. 
and Seattle Metropolitan Magazine had a vote <laughs> and uh, and I got a plaque. All of them are they're just they're just uh, you know that we somebody made a crude piece of paper that was like, ha ha, we're idiots and you're an idiot. And that's it. That's as that's that's it. That's the peak. And I keep doing the I keep doing this 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 dumb thing where, you know, like I guess we all do in a way, like, whoa, is this it? Because at 50, it's the first time that I have had the thought where I was like, okay, if time could just stop now, if I could just roll at 50 years old, uh, that th- that would be interesting, right? Because life starts to seem ludicrously short. Yes. When you're halfway through it and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. no way. It's like, this is it? Like, right. I it hit- took me all this time to get to here. Yeah. And you're right. Reinventing the wheel the entire time, like the entire time we could, I think about this a lot when I was, uh, uh, in my trip, in my, uh, journeys to Eastern Europe in the immediate aftermath of communism. Yeah. One of the things that you noticed, uh, walking around is that there, because there wasn't the same kind of consumerism, certain choices were made at a high level. And one of those choices was uh, Fiat in the 1960s made apparently the perfect car because Fiat licensed this four-door sedan to all of the nations of Eastern Europe and nations around the world, this Fiat. And it uh, and so it was manufactured in Bulgaria and in Russia and mm-hmm. in Yugoslavia, and it's all basically the same exact car. And it's just a it's just a cheapo Fiat, but apparently it was the perfect car, at least in the estimation of the East, because it could be made really cheaply, and it, and it hung together. But you're walk you, you hang out in Eastern Europe, at least in the in the early '90s, and all the cars are the same, right? You know, there's there's five colors, and it's just one car after another. Well, there it is. There it is again. There it is again. Oh, there's a different one, but there's the one again. There, there it is. Every once in a while, you see like a clapped out Mercedes that got imported somehow. You know, um, or you see a truck. Everybody else is driving the same car, and after a while, I really came to appreciate it because, uh, as you're saying. <clears throat> a decision was made on behalf of everyone. This is car. Right. You don't have to think about this anymore. You don't have to worry about. And and driving around Seattle, every single car is different from the car before it. I was driving I was driving down First Avenue a couple of days ago, and there's a a pulled over on the side of the road. There's a 1987 Toyota Supra. I think you can picture the car. Absolutely. And in front of it is another 1987 Toyota Supra. And they both are kind of decked out. Um, tinted windows. They've got custom stuff. Uh, airfoils. Uh-huh. <laughs> and both of them have their retractable headlights up, although it's the middle of the day. And as I drive, and the two pilots of these 87 Supras are standing they're, they're, they're pulled over next to each other, although, you know, kind of 
there's enough distance between the two cars that it feels like they, what it looked like to me, because the two pilots are in between the two cars talking animatedly, and they're both young dudes, guys in their late 20s, mid to late 20s. And as I slow roll by these dudes, because of course I'm like, what's going on over here? And my first thought, naturally, is that they're members of a Toyota Supra car club. But as I drive by and I look at them and how happy they are, and just the distance between the two cars, I realize a guy was driving along in his 87 Toyota Supra that he had customized that he thought was badass, and he saw another one. And he was like, whoa, beep, beep. And the other guy felt the same way. Holy cow, look Uh at you. And they immediately, in a split second, contrived, like, pull over, pull over. And so either they were passing and one guy pulled a U-turn or, like, even more insane, they were both headed in the same direction. And one of them, probably the one behind, is like, oh, is that an 87 Supra? And he, like, kicked it into gear and caught up with the guy. Beep, 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 beep. And so they're both there, like, if you can imagine what it would be like if you were a 1987 Toyota Supra enthusiast and you saw another one. And they were just like, they were all so excited to see each other. And I wanted to pull over. And I, and I had that thing that I have sometimes, which is like, I'm ser- I should seriously pull over and get involved in this. Mm-hmm. I need to go back and talk to these two dudes and get the whole lay of the land, not only of the Supras, but of this story. I feel like this is a magazine article. But I had somewhere to be, and, you know, it's like if I pulled over every time some bell goes off in my head that's like, do you have to pull over and talk to that? I wouldn't go anywhere, you know? I would. It, it, this is a, Within a mile of my house, there's enough that I would – I would be like, I got to talk to this guy. I was in a parking lot the other day and there was a art car, which is a car that somebody has. They're like decorate. We have those in Austin. Do you have a lot of those up there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we yeah. used to have a lot more when Seattle was, was kooky. Seattle's less and less kooky all the time. I know Austin really, and Portland's the same way, really yeah. leans into being yeah, kooky. They want, they try to, yeah. Seattle was very kooky, but the city didn't really lean into it. The city was like, all right, all right. We're busy with commerce over here. And people were like, aha, I've got a thousand little army men glued to the dashboard. And they're like, okay. Portland and Austin are like, yay. Seattle's not kooky anymore <laughs> because Seattle has made a has made a real, real uh a real push in the last 10 years to suck, you know, like Seattle as a whole, as a collective group of 750,000 people, everybody has independently been thinking, how can we, how can we suck more? How can I suck more personally? How can my community suck more? And how can the city at large suck more? And we've been just working at it as a group of people. Like, let's just make this place really suck. It's got every advantage. It's a great place. It's got cultural stuff just stacked up. This place could be a paradise on earth, but we're going to really, really, really put our shoulders into taking everything good away and replacing it with something shitty. But these two guys in their Supra, oh, so I see the art car. Well, this guy, this is an art car beyond. And there's a guy, a boomer, climbing into this art car. Well, he's created it out of an Oldsmobile station wagon. And he's gone 
the extra mile. And he's gone past making this into an Adams Family car. <laughs> and he's gone all the way to making this thing. Um, like it's past, the car is past insane, such that the car says everything you need to know about the man. Like this person's insane and I need to talk to this person. So I did pull over and approach him again, cautiously, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. May I talk to you about your car? Because there's one thing that this guy wants to do, which is talk about this car. And he gave me a complete tour of the car. And his story was that the, that the, that the linkage at some point between the, you know, the, whatever this, something was happening with the transmission. He said it was really hard to access it. He didn't have a lift. So he went in from above. And in order to get to and work on the transmission, he had to take the dashboard out and the windshield out because the transmission was right there. And then once he was in there and had fixed the transmission, this is the logic this guy is using. Like, well, I can't get to it from underneath, so I'll just go in from the top and take out the dashboard and the windshield. And then he had to rebuild a dashboard and put in a windshield made out of just plate glass. But he figured, well, since I'm going to do that, you know, in order that I not have this problem again, I'm just going to move the driver's compartment back to the middle seat and put the dashboard and the windshield where the driver's compartment used to be in this. So now it's a, it's a former station wagon that he's now made into a coupe. And the front end is like 15 feet long. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, now that I'm doing that, I should make it look like a space, you know, a space block. Cause it's old, old school. You know, it's like a, it's like an eighties box on top of a box car. And I, I got that guy's card. I was like, whoever you are, we need to talk more. You know, that's one of those things where I'm like, hey, you know, I have a podcast. And he's like, well, <laughs> I don't know. You know, if you record a person's voice, it steals their soul. <laughs> but the, you know, like all of these people, they're that's they're peaking, right? They're living a peak existence. And and I'm at 50 now thinking, okay, I could stay here. I could stay right here in this zone. There's a, I'm already I'm already like 8% decrepit. Mm -hmm. You know, the the knee injury I got when I was 20 that's not getting any better. Uh, the, you know, the fact that I knocked out my teeth when I was 20, those aren't, well, that's not regenerating. My hair's all gray now. My sister was, my sister was complimenting my mom the other day and she was like, your hair looks great. You know, my mom got to that age where she stopped dyeing her hair. I've been realizing down lately that a lot of my rock friends were dyeing their hair this whole time. And I didn't realize it. I just thought all my cool friends had black hair. How did, you know, <laughs> how did I not? It's like, it's like, uh, my daughter's mother the other day said, your sister's going out on a date tonight. And I said, how do you know? She was like, look at her. And I looked at her. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she was like, look at her. She looks like she's going on a date. She's got, she's not going to wear that outfit normally. And I was, I, couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, I'm pretty perceptive. 
but I can't look at a woman and tell that she's got her, I'm on a date shoes. Mm -hmm. After this event, after dinner, I'm leaving and going on a date. And it couldn't have been more obvious to my daughter's mother. Oh, she's going on a date, duh. Oh, so I'm pretty observant, but some things I'm not observant at all. Not observant at all. One of the things was I had no idea my friends were dyeing their hair. I thought they were all just really cool. And now that they're 50, you can tell they're dyeing their hair. Right. At 50, your hair is your hair starts to change. If you know, if it turns gray, the hair is coarser. No matter who you are, it gets a little thinner. Even if you got a big brushy head of hair. Yeah. And, and that black dye starts to look weird because you can kind of see through to there's like Black hair is very seldom also wispy, like a full head of black rock and roll hair. And so I've started asking my friends, hey, wait a minute, are you dyeing your hair? And because they're 50, like if they were 30, they'd be like, huh, what? <laughs> and now they're 50 and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been dyeing my hair all these years because there's no pretending. And so I ask them all, are you going to, how long are you going to do this? And they're like, well, dude, I, I'm in rock and roll. Like I can't look like some pharmacist it's like oh right right that didn't occur to me and you know and a couple of the guys were like my my wife and i both dye our hair like that's why we look so cool i was like oh and then i remember oh there's a reason i didn't dye my hair and it's because i'm sand colored yeah how would you how would you dye it to bring it to something that looked natural for there you i could go blonde i could have gone blonder i'm gonna tell you though i from the feedback that i get from people regardless men or women um i i find that people like the salt and pepper they like it on a man i'm not sure how it would be for women but it that, that, that they like it now i can tell you that i think it's very attractive yeah for a woman especially with dark hair but it works no matter what but if they have some gray hair in there, that's I think it's pretty hot. I think it's a look. That's a good look. And if it's if they're lucky look. enough, there's that one. Is she an is she a? I forget what she is. She a actress or something? She and she's got the one like section where it's just like the gray s- streak almost or striped. Mm-hmm. That's hot. That's really hot. But like I've been told so many times by people of all ages and genders and non-binary people doesn't matter. They love the gray, especially like over your, you know, how like uh, your sideburns and like it goes over your ears like that, like that going gray. Mm-hmm. That's a good look. I don't necessarily like it myself mm-hmm. I, because I mean, especially what's worse for me is like it, it as I'm getting older, it's thinning some. Mm-hmm. And I don't like I knew that that was going to happen because it happened to my dad. It happened to my grandfather. And they say that there's that old wives tale. Well, if it's your mom's dad, no, it's if it's in any side of your family <laughs> at all, you, you can get it. It's not just your mom's dad. It's anyone on either side. You'll get it because guess what? That's how genes work. Uh, yeah. It's not just one parent's parent that determines if you're genetically going to get something. Uh, but I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. By the time that my granddad was in his like late 30s, he was sort of the you know, Patrick Stewart looking uh, hairstyle, mm-hmm. which I just didn't know how long it had. But I look at these pictures of me when I was in my twenties and even in my thirties, I had this amazing thick 
head of hair that you look at it, you're like, nothing can touch that. That's like yeah, right. a bomb shelter, you know, Super like bulletproof. It, right? Yeah. Nothing's going to happen to that. And then it starts receding. I'm like, well, receding, that's fine. Like, it's fine. I don't care oh, if it oh. recedes. And I, I, in my mind, it was like, it re- it'll recede sort of like a plate tectonic type thing. Like every year it'll recede, you know, two centimeters or something. And that's fine because by the time that it goes all the way to the Patrick Stewart, I'll be in my sixties. It won't matter. Right. But that's not what happened, John. It just also started to get thinner and it's not to the point where I have the the Picard going and that will take a long time to get there, but it's definitely, so not only is there gray and not only is there sort of the consistency of the hair that you're talking about changing that, that all of those are true. But it's also thinning in addition to that. And that's what I don't like. I would yeah. much rather have a lot of gray or all gray, all gray, silver fox, whatever. Hello, hello. But still have the hair that will, you know, thickness, the, the presence of it. And that's the thing that I don't like. And there's nothing I can do about it. It's not like my kids will say, oh, you know, your hair looks like, thanks, guys for bringing that up. Like, well, aren't you, you know, you could take something for it. I'm like, see, I don't want to take, you know, these things have side effects, Propecia. Yeah. There's side effects and they're not side effects I want. No. Have you read about what the side effects of those kinds of things are? No, I'm not interested. I don't want to know. Because you're taking it? No, 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 no. I, you know, I'm, I'm just as God made me, sir. I've never, I've never been good at dressing myself up in, anything other than costumes. One time in my early 20s, I was hippie adjacent enough that I put henna in my hair and so floated around a few times for however long, however many months henna, you know, kind of stays in your, in your system this is a, is henna the the stuff that people sort of draw on their hands and it looks yeah. like a tattoo that lasts for a couple of weeks and then goes away. Yeah, and it, and you, it's like a mud, like a red colored mud. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you put it in your hair, it dyes your hair red. Oh, I didn't uh, but, know you could do that. That's interesting. Yeah, but it it doesn't seem like when you do it, it doesn't feel like I'm dying my hair. It's like a it. Uh, there were so many times when I was with hippies, and I was like, oh, are we? Messing around, like I'll mess around. I never got a tattoo or a piercing, even though people were getting tattoos and piercings all around me because I was like, well, you got to draw the line somewhere. I mean, I'll smoke anything you put in front of me, but I'm not going to put a <laughs> like a tattoo on myself or, or pierce my nose or something. Um, but at one point, or maybe multiple points, you know, my I was hippie adjacent in the same way that I was punk rock adjacent. I was I was there, they were all around me, and there were there were lots of punk rock things that I did that were like, I guess this, I guess this for tonight at least. And I kind of liked the henna. I had a girlfriend uh, at one point who who told me a story that when she met me, she called her mom and she was like, I'm dating a redhead boy. And then it was only like a year later that she looked at me at one point and she was like, hey, wait a minute, your hair's not red. And I was like, oh, no. What made you think that? And she was like, well, you had red hair when we started dating. And I was like, oh, right. Because it was like, it was a cool red. It was auburny kind of. And and because it wasn't, it wasn't like a dye, it was 
well, it was more of a dye than it was like a chemical process. It, it, nothing was stripped out of my hair. It just had this mud on it. Um, it kind of looked cool. It was like a, it was like a, in certain light, you could see the red. But now, there's just no pretending, Dan, that I don't even look like a pile of sand anymore, which was my, which was my look. <laughs> uh-huh. I look like a pile of salt. I look like a bunch of sand that somebody is, it's like a 50-50 mix mm-hmm. of sand and salt. And that kind of described my personality, too. Did you ever think, know, did you ever know someone who had like a early like early gray like almost completely gray oh, at an yeah, early age? Yeah, yeah. Chris Cornelia in his twenties got yeah, salt I had and pepper. A friend like that who is when I met him he was probably late twenties early thirties and and he was I would say at that point eighty percent gray. Yeah, yeah. And I, he cool hated one. it. I thought it was amazing. I thought he looked really cool with it. Like I would have liked that. And he's still he's he's at least five maybe ten years older than me. He's still got a completely full, beautiful thick. Had a hair, and yeah. uh, and it's still the same as it as it always was. See, that's nice. Yeah, I think what you're experiencing, Dan, and it's a thing I'm a little past now. The difference in our age is just being enough to have passed this point. Yeah, you know when you're when you're when you're 35 and you look back at pictures of yourself when you're 25 and you realize, oh my God, I thought I was so hideous, and look at me, I'm beautiful. Beautiful. I'm beautiful then, and. I only wish, now at 35, I know this, I only wish I could fly back in time and, and have my 25-year-old year self understand that, I'm, that I was beautiful and I shouldn't have been so self-conscious. I, at the time, I thought I was fat and gross and yeah. pimply. Was and gor- nobody was gorgeous, be- most beautiful person in the world. Totally beautiful. And then wh- what happens, I think, in your mid-40s is you go through a very brief period of time when you actually realize where you are in reality. Mm-hmm. Because when you're 35 and you're saying that to your 25-year-old self, you're 35 and also going like, well, but now I'm, I am fat and old and ugly. And then when you're 45, you look back at your 35-year-old self and you're like, oh my God, not only were you beautiful at 35, but you were also smart and capable. Mm-hmm. Like you thought you were, you thought you were, uh, already falling apart at 35 and in fact you're this is like these are the glory days you know and at 45 you have that very brief period where you realize where you actually are in time and you're like here i am i'm 45 this is i'm actually as good looking as i am as capable and as talented as i am i'm actually present in this moment for the most and the thing is i say this even Knowing that at 45, I also was like, but I'm fat and hideous and falling apart. Mm. But, but I realized this, this is my moment. Right. And at 45, it kind of is your moment. Mm -hmm. Like at that point you have what you're going to have. And now at, at 53, I realize, oh, this would be nice to just hang here for a while. Yes. Like, you know, from 45 to 55, I would just, it'd be nice to just have like 30 years where you just sort of hung (laughs) here. Yeah. Where you didn't fall apart anymore and you kind of don't want to go back to very much younger because- Oh, I would, this is the thing is, I'm not talking about physically, but mentally, I wouldn't want to go back 10 years. God, no. Oh my no. God, no. 
No, you physically, with- honestly, things work pretty good. You know, knock on wood. It's, things are all hanging in. I'm doing good. I feel good. I work out, you know, I'm trying to hydrate more. Oh yeah, hydrating. But like, these are the kinds of things you didn't think about in your 20s and 30s. Like, you don't have to hydrate. Like people who are like, I drink three gallons of water a day. I'm 27. Like, that's great. Good for you. But like, I, I think I drank one glass of water a month when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. you know and now i i drink like three of these stupid container four these stupid container things every day and i don't know why i don't know what it's doing for me but you know the stupid thing is i noticed a, a huge difference when i started it yeah. like in everything like everything felt better everything worked better like yeah but i never used to have to do that my only i only consumed you know like i might i'm if i accidentally you know, if i had to take a pill i might drink water but everything else was just you know, I mean, it's not like I drank sweet drinks, but I basically existed on just coffee. Yeah. God bless it. You know, all the time. And now it's like, I don't even think about having coffee until I've had like the electrolyte water thing oh, first. Wow. Oh, how exciting. You know, like you I got, got a, a lot of electrolytes. It makes a di- like it makes a difference. Yeah. It's what plants crave. But when you're 25, it doesn't. When you're 25, it, do- it doesn't matter whether you're drinking beer gin coffee or water you feel the same physically well the gin the gin makes you a little angrier yeah i mean if you drink enough of it yeah i i feel like i feel i feel like i've said this before but you know hyper nutrition and exercise people have existed now for 50 years right in the late 60s early 70s there were already people that were living with a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet we're getting exercise. We're treating their bodies like a temple, mm-hmm. right? This is not a new thing anymore. For most of my life, it seemed like, oh, you know, look at those, look at those weirdos. And then it became more and more mainstream, and more and more people were like, oh no, 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 I don't, I don't drink milk, and I don't drink this. And then pretty soon, it's like, no, I just eat this this regimen, and I work out obsessively. So, but it's been, you know, like any anything in science. We have now a large sample size of people who have been living like this for 50 years, and they were in their 20s and 30s when they started. So they're now they're now old. And I don't get the feeling, although you know, we are increasing lifespan, but we have been increasing lifespan for several centuries. Right, or at least a couple of centuries, where the the average lifespan in in eighteen fifty might be fifty years old, that accounts for there were a, a, a lot more people that used to fall down wells. There were a lot of people that died of untreated disease that really brought that that uh, average down. But there are plenty of examples of people in the eighteen hundreds that lived to be. 90 years old, 80 and 90 years old. If you look at all the robber barons, all of the the people that that were walking around in tuxedos all the time mm-hmm. in New York City, sure, a lot of them died in their 60s, but there were plenty of guys that got Andrew Carnegie old. And all the way through the 20th century, that average lifespan has been increasing, increasing, increasing because of medical advances and 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 uh, antibiotics and nutrition. And I think in the last, just in my lifetime, we've watched the number of 100-year-olds really kind of expand. Yeah. 
there used to, it used to be like, whoa, they made it to a hundred. Like that's as old as you could be. And there's only one in a million people that gets there. And now it's like, oh, they're kind of hundred year olds everywhere. But we read a lot of magazine articles about the fact that it seems like 110 is where it stops. Mm. Very, very, very. And even even now where it seems like there are 100-year-olds everywhere, there aren't. It's a fraction of a percent of people that get to be really? that old. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Is like, do you, do you know how many people are making it to, to those ages? It seems like more than ever before, and I think that's true. But then when you interview those people, they always have some story about like, yeah, I smoked a pack a day, or, you know, the way I stayed this old is every day I, you know, I ate a can of sardines. Like, there's no, there's, I I have not seen any evidence to suggest, I don't even know if I've read a single interview with a 100-year-old person who was like, yeah, I ate only whole grains, raw food, exercised compulsively, and was vegan. And 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 a lot of the premise at least for most of my life for all of that was health into old age and and um in longevity. And it turns out that all the veganism and all of the the electrolyte having if it doesn't make you feel better now, it's pointless. And I think it does make people feel better now, but in that sense it's just a lifestyle choice like eating ice cream every day. And yeah. the difference between I eat ice cream every day and I never eat ice cream seems to just be in that period between 70 and 85, are you uh, are you like cooking it, like out roller skating on Venice Beach? And it's like, ha-ha, look at that old guy. He's roller skating. <laughs> or are you like a pile of shit? But – you know, you're kind of, it's just like, it's just like adding money to your 401k. Like all you're doing is making being 80 better because on the other side of 80, it's like, yeah, it tapers off pretty fast, no matter who you are and getting up to 80, even living on ice cream, you can kind of creep up on 80 without like at 53, I can no longer drink coffee at 9 p.m. At 40? When when, when did that change for you? 40? Well, yeah, maybe. Dang. I could drink coffee at 9 p.m. up until 40. <laughs> and the thing is, I kept doing it from 40 to 45. Because 2 o'clock in the morning, we're all at a diner. What the hell am I going to drink? Or, you know, it's or it's midnight and we're out at a bar and everybody's in their cups and it's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, they're going to suffer from being drunk. I should at least suffer from being buzzed when I'm trying to go to sleep. Sure. I should at least give myself restless leg syndrome out of sympathy for my friends that are going to have a headache tomorrow. But now I know at 53, you can't drink coffee after what you know i mean there are people that can't drink coffee after 9 a.m i mean i can still drink it until two in the afternoon but but what i've got now is 30 years and how how much what's the what's the over and under hmm. on how delicious ice cream is versus how much I want to be able to roller skate when I'm 80. 
Because if it was a question as the as as health enthusiasts want to make it, if it was a question of will die at eighty or live to one hundred and fifty, yeah, it might be harder choice. It would be a lot harder choice. Well, I don't want to die at eighty if you can live to one hundred and fifty, especially if from eighty to one hundred and thirty five you were still roller skating, right. But it seems to be a question of, do you want to eat ice cream all your life and then die at 83? Or do you want to eat bran all your life and die at 85 and a half? (laughs) Which is kind of what it seems like. Reading the obituaries and, and reading the life stories of all the people that are 90... You know, a lot of those life stories are like, well, he worked at the aluminum smelter. Mm. And... The only reason he lived to be 95 is that he didn't die of tuberculosis uh-huh. or he didn't die of, he didn't die of, um, what, of some disease that he got, that was easily cured by antibiotic because right. he lived in, he lived in the 150 years before antibiotics got into all the water and they didn't work anymore. But, but you know, it's, Almost no obituary of an old person mentions anything about, like, what a healthy life they led. It's always, I mean, a lot of them are like, they stayed married until they died, seems to be a big factor, because there was somebody to keep the sauce off of them. Mm. And it turns out a lot of people die from sauce. 